Hello, good morning. Uh, pleasure to be with you again uh, this morning. Hopefully you all had a wonderful liturgy, those of you at home. Uh, hopefully you're healthy, safe, and uh, doing well and have some time to sit and reflect this morning uh, to offer some time to God. Uh, I'm actually recording this from Chicago, visiting my family there. Uh, it's been a while, uh, as many of you probably are familiar with, uh, not being able to travel. Um, but uh, via the magic of technology, I am still standing in front of a virtual St. Paul altar. Uh, and uh, the obvious disclaimer is that I am not a Salah or an Anchorite, uh, but this is only facilitated through technology. Uh, so, uh, you know, today we're going to continue a uh, topic I started last time I was able to uh, speak uh, on this platform, and that's uh, regarding St. Basil the Great. Um, he, again, is one of my uh, favorite saints, uh, somebody I, I often uh, return to uh, to uh, read his writings and to meditate and pray on, on what he writes. Today's uh, talk is uh, from his uh, collection of sermons that was collected by SVS Press, which we can't see here, called On Social Justice. And it's the first sermon in that uh, book uh, called To the Rich. So without further ado, I'm going to minim mercifully minimize my image on this screen and uh, bring up the presentation uh, to be able to uh, share it with you all. <clears throat> So before beginning on St. Basil, a few disclaimers. Uh, number one, I'll present the teachings of St. Basil the Great as true to his sermon as I possibly can. Uh, the writings of St. Basil the Great and St. John Chrysostom have caused me to pause and reevaluate my priorities, life goals, and the way I've been leading my life, especially in terms of my thoughts on wealth and economic disparity. Uh, very convicting writings by St. Basil. Um, and, you know, what follows with that is that some of this may be, especially for us in a very uh, privileged society in Orange County with a great deal of uh, wealth surrounding us, uh, what, what follows may be difficult to hear, um, but I offer it as a perspective of a great saint and one that we should pray and uh, meditate on. <clears throat> so a little bit just a refresher about St. Basil uh, the Great. Uh, we talked at length uh, about this in the previous uh, adult lesson. Uh, so if you want to, I, I think it's uh, available to, to watch uh, if you want to review. Um, but again, he was born in 330 AD in Caesarea of Cappadocia, uh, born to a, and this is very important for these talks, born into a very prominent Christian family. He was, his family is very, very wealthy. Uh, at the same time, they were also a, a household of saints. Four of his nine brothers and sisters wound up uh, becoming saints, uh, mo most famously uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa, as well as uh, his sister who was responsible for his conversion, St. Macrina. Uh, and uh, so he was from a, a very pious and very uh, saintly family. Um, Again, um, his family was not known only for their piety, but their social status and wealth. The father was a lawyer. St. Basil became a lawyer or uh, um, 
became a lawyer as well and was a professor before before he uh, left that life. Um, he was very well educated. Um, his father died in his teenage years, um, and uh, eventually Saint Basil went on to become a priest and then the bishop of uh, Caesarea. So, you know, as I mentioned, Saint Macrina had played a pivotal role in his conversion and. <clears throat> What we see with that is that, um, what we see with that, uh, there was a, a very traumatic experience he had with the passing of his brother early in life. And St. Basil was also at that time, just also kind of really exploring his thoughts and really a little dissatisfied with his current life, just doing a, a job, uh, um, it, you know, as a, as a lawyer and having studied, he found some emptiness to it. And this is a quote that we shared last time. Much time I had spent in vanity and wasted nearly all my youth in vain labor, which I underwent in acquiring the wisdom made foolish by God. Then once upon a time, like a man roused from a deep sleep, I turned my eyes to the marvelous light of the truth of the gospel. And I perceived the uselessness of wisdom of princes of this world who come to naught. Then I read the gospel and I saw that there were great means of reaching perfection was the selling of one's goods, sharing them with the poor, giving up all care for this life and refusal to allow the soul to be turned by any sympathy to things of the earth. So St. Basil had this very uh, convicting awakening in his life after the passing of his brother and through the influence of St. Macrina, as well as his travels, visiting monasteries in Syria and Egypt, among other places. And so when he returned, despite being of a family, uh, from a family of great wealth, he really kind of uh, rejected that. And a pivotal, uh, a pivotal passage in the Bible that, that uh, like for many others, uh, was the passage of the rich young ruler, which was in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell whatever, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And in some translations, it talks about him going away grieving. So not just sorrowful, but grieving. And so, you know, what's really interesting about this is that not all of the early church fathers are necessarily in agreement as to what the application of this passage is for the, for the lay people, for people living in society. Clearly for the rich young ruler, that was a command given by God. However, uh, the likes of St. Clement of Alexandria interpreted the passage not to be literal. Rather, he felt that the passage was telling us as <clears throat> followers of Christ to break free from attachments to wealth and not to be obsessed with the acquisition and maintenance of wealth. Still, uh, another, St. Athanasius, uh, 
wrote from a monastic perspective that it, this passage should really be interpreted literally by monks and not necessarily laity. And the church reconciled this by suggesting a different interpretation for the monks and the general populace. Um, so maybe for the general populace, it would be more of what St. Clement uh, suggested. And then for monks, it would be more of what St. Athanasius uh, uh, suggested. And then still there was St. Basil the Great, uh, who approaches the passage as an expression of the law of love. And St. Basil the Great argues that if we loved our neighbor as ourselves, we'd not come to amass possessions as we could not bear to see others suffer while we live in abundance. And so we'll get a little bit more into, we'll get into the, to the weeds here of uh, the sermon uh, and really kind of try to hash out what he, what St. Basil was saying in the sermon to the rich. Um, so he, he opens uh, the, the sermon by saying, by talking about the Bible passage. And he, he says, this young man inquired with a healthy disposition, though he did not really receive the reply. And so he was inquiring. This, this young man came to the teacher, uh, Christ, uh, seeking uh, a way, a method, uh, a purpose uh, for attaining salvation. He really wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. And so that was actually a positive thing. He recognized, as St. Basil goes on to say, he recognized the teacher of truth, bypassing the imposture of the Pharisees, the speculation of the lawyers who kind of just dismissed Christ and ascribed a fitting appellation to the only true and good teacher. For this, he is to be praised, right? So the fact that he approached Christ and knew that Christ had the answer to his question and that Christ was the good teacher, this was recognized as a positive by St. Basil. However, after learning the lessons of salvation from the tr true teacher, he neither inscribes them in his heart nor puts, nor puts them into practice, but rather goes away grieving, darkened by the passion of avarice. So this is, this is St. Basil's main problem with this rich young ruler, is that yes, he recognized Christ as uh, the, the, the giver of truth and the pathway to salvation. But once he learned what Christ required of him, uh, it, was no longer, uh, it was no longer what he wanted. As a matter of fact, he went away grieved and darkened. So <clears throat> St. Basil goes on to discuss this. He says, as this clearly demonstrates the discord of his motives and his own internal disagreement. Do you say teacher and not carry out the duties of a disciple? Do you call him good, yet decline to accept what he offers? You ask about eternal life, yet show yourself completely bound to the enjoyment of this present life. What severe or burdensome or excessive word did the teacher give you? He follows that by saying, but when he promises to make you an heir of eternal life by such a smooth road without pain or exertion, you do not rejoice at the ease of salvation but rather depart with lamentation and bitterness of soul, invalidating all that you accomplished by your previous labor. So all of the good works that he'd done, the keeping of the commandments, uh, you know, the being honest, honoring his father and mother, not committing adultery, all this is great. Um, however, when he was faced with what Christ required of him personally, um, he was... Uh, he was unable to, to follow that path again. And so 
you know, here again, St. Basil is convicting this us and this rich young ruler uh, regarding uh, his lack of ability to continue following uh, the path that Christ wants. And what I want to point out here is that, you know, yes, we should, t- we should think about this in terms of wealth acquisition and helping the poor and all that stuff. But also think about in your life, is there something that God is asking you to follow or to give up that you are unable to follow or to do? And why is that? You know, uh, you know, most of us here, thank God, uh, have a pl- the pleasure of knowing uh, many of the congregants here are really wonderful people, really good people. And yet in, in some of us, uh, me included and me at the forefront, um, you know, there are some things in my life that I feel, if I'm honest with myself, I'm unable to give up in order to pursue salvation, in order to pursue this life with with God, this relationship with God. There are things that hinder my relationship with God. And uh, so not just in terms of wealth, but in terms of these last things that we remain slaves to, or these things that if we gave up or tried to follow would leave us grieving, uh, those are the things that are really important for us to kind of discern in our own lives and with our spiritual father and father of confession. So the sermon continues. Uh, Although you say that you have never murdered or committed adultery or stolen or borne false witness against another, you make all this diligence of no account by not adding what follows. And then he gives this example. If a physician promised to cure some bodily defect arising from either birth or as a result of illness, you would not lose heart. But when, a great, when the great physician of souls and bodies, seeing your deficiency in this vital area, wishes to make you whole, you do not accept the joyful news, but rather turn sad and gloomy. And this, this was really convicting to me because, you know, the, you know as, a, as somebody who is involved in healthcare, um, I see a lot of people come to the doctor uh, hoping for healing, hoping for, uh, you know, therapy. And in many cases, uh, there is no limit to what they would give up to attain that, um, that healing or that therapy, financially or even work-wise, time-wise. Um, and yet, uh, I get this sense for myself uh, that uh, if I had a physical ailment uh, that could be healed by a physician, I'd be more likely to willingly give up my wealth or willingly give up what I have uh, rather than for my own salvation, right? So so for some reason, you know, we place a, a premium on our health in this world over uh, even our own salvation. And that's a good question to ask yourself. If you were sick or if you had a, a cancer or a limb amputation, how much would you give back how much would you give to get that back? Uh, well, for many of us, that would, it would almost be unlimited. Uh, and yet the, the response may not be the same for our own salvation. Uh, so St. Basil continues to say, uh, to, to kind of uh, uh, continue this point, uh, by what, like what I was saying, if you had truly loved your neighbor, sorry about the typos, folks, uh, it would have occurred to you long ago to divest yourself of this wealth. But now your possessions are more part of you than the members of your own body. And separation from them is as painful as the amputation of one, your, one of your limbs. This is kind of an uh, interesting concept that if we had started living our lives without uh, immeasurable greed, without this desire for things, without this desire for wealth, 
if that's how we had started our lives, we may not be in a situation where we've come to depend on it. So losing things or not having things may not be as important to us. Um, and in some cases, we do see people who lose things financially, even if they're extremely wealthy, it, it, uh, it can become almost like they've lost a limb, almost like they've lost a loved one uh, if, if they fall into you know, bad times, even if they're still comfortable enough to live uh, and to be healthy. Um, the, uh, the next po portion of this is that um, had you determined long ago to give to those in need, how would it, how would it be? So had you determined long ago to give to those in these, how would it be unbearable now to distribute what was left? So that's the point that I was making, right? So if, if you had grown up with this feeling of wanting to give or being generous or giving, uh, giving to charity, giving to the poor, uh, it wouldn't be as unbearable now to do the same even with the amassed wealth. And then nonetheless, having wealth is dear to you, though you gain from it adva no advantage whatsoever, and the futility of chasing after what is worthless is obvious to everybody. It's funny, in this sermon also, he talks about uh, like, you know, like gold and silver and jewels and gems, and he's like, you know, what is really the value of, of these things, these, this gold bracelet, this jewelry, uh, so forth? I mean, it is what we as humans have ascribed to it, right? Gold in and of itself is a mineral, you know, or, or an element. It's not anything inherently valuable. And yet we, we put such value on it and put so much, you know, in terms of trying to acquire it and to, to, to gain it for ourselves. So it's kind of ironic that, you know, a lot of what we seek after in terms of wealth is actually <clears throat> kind of, kind of worthless as well. Um, and uh, so that was, that was also <laughs> something that St. Basil caused me to pause and think about. Um, uh, the sermon continues, only listen to the arguments they say, some wealth for spending and some held in reserve, while the allowance for daily provisions, provisions should exceed the level of mere necessities. Some comforts within the house and some for outward display, some to make traveling comfortable and some to make life splendid and luxurious at home, right? And so he's talking about seeking after things that are beyond our bare necessities, right? And I'm not saying here that we should all live kind of like hermits or anything like that. But I mean, it does give you pause and make you think about what are the things that we're chasing after? You know, the bigger home, the faster car, the, the more expensive and prestigious watch. Um, all these things are kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting that we uh, seek after these things so, so intently. Um, St. Basil continues by saying, after they have squandered their wealth among so many pursuits, if there's anything left over, they hide it in the ground and guard it deep within the earth. When by a multitude of schemes, you are unable to exhaust your wealth, you concealed it in the earth. And we do this, right? We, we have, many of us have way beyond what we actually need in life. And so we put it in banks, we put it in investment funds, we put it in all these things to kind of store it and to hide it. It's well beyond what we need and well beyond what is necessary. And yet we just uh, kind of store these things uh, to, in order to develop greater wealth, in order to develop uh, greater status and, and so forth. And, you know, society is different now. It 
you know, we need, there are some elements of needing to think about the future and think about, um, uh, you know, providing for children, raising a family and, and, and so forth. Although St. Basil the Great may have some argument with this, um, but, uh, but, you know, it, it is interesting how much we, you know, store away for, for the future that we may not even have. And I think when it comes to this, as you are bearing your wealth, you entomb it with it, your own heart. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that was also convicting, right? So, so you know, we know lay, up, lay not for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And, you know, thinking of entombing your heart or your, you know, your soul with your wealth in the ground is, is very convicting as well. Uh, St. Basil continues by saying, this is why the Lord's commands make some sorrowful. I know many who, uh, this one killed me. So I know many who fast, pray, sigh, and demonstrate every manner of piety, so long as it costs them nothing, yet would not part with a penny to help those in distress. And this was really convicting to me, right? Uh, so, you know, this is what we typically think of as Pharisees. You know, they, they anoint their selves with oil, uh, or, or, you know, they, they kind of like present themselves as these very pious people, right? So if they're fasting, they look like distressed, or if they're, they're praying, they, they orate so everybody can hear. And this is kind of what it is. It's kind of like a false uh, sense of piety, right? So you can do all these outward things that uh, are seemingly religious or seemingly in tune with your faith. But if, you're, if your heart is not in it for, you know, for a desire to help the poor, to, to help your, to really love your neighbor as yourself, to really love uh, others uh, as, as God commands us, um, the message, the, the, the proof in the actions is not, is not represented accurately, right? So the, uh, all the kind of false or outward manifestations of piety don't really mean very much if the heart is not there, if the, the, the soul is not there to, to also uh, push this. So it benefits those who possess sound judgment to recognize that they have received wealth as stewardship and not for their own enjoyment. Thus, when they are parted from it, they rejoice as those who relinquish what is not really theirs instead of becoming downcast like those who are stripped of their own. So this is a nice way to think of wealth or what God gives us. It's a stewardship. What God, it's nothing that we've earned on ourselves. There's nothing that we've done for ourselves. Uh, you know, if you're a great businessman or a great doctor, great engineer, and you've amassed a fair amount of wealth, great business owner, you know, good for you. But the reality of it is that this is something that was given to you by God, right? And we should treat it as such. This is not our own possessions. These are something that we have been given to steward to other people. So the expectation from God is probably that if we are given great wealth, that we are doing great things for those around us, particularly those who are disadvantaged and particularly those who are not able to care for ourselves. St. John Chrysostom talks about this in his writings saying, you know, and you have to be very careful with how you interpret, how you read this and interpret this, but essentially saying that the poor exist as a method for salvation for the rich, right? Not that uh, it's good to be poor and that God doesn't care about the poor and only the rich, but that, that, the, the 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 poor in society are the opportunity for the is one of the one of the functions is it's an opportunity for the rich to love their fellow man as themselves to take care of their brothers and sisters 
to take care of the children of God, right? And so this idea of stewardship is extremely important uh, in, in St. Basil's writings, you know, to take care of our fellow man, what God has given us, what, what we have is not what we've uh, uh, collected on our own or from our own uh, abilities. It is something that God has uh, given to us and we should be good stewards of that. So the sermon continues, but you claim you yourself are a pauper. Sorry, it should be pauper, not paper. And I concur. Now, a pauper is someone who lacks many things and the instability, insatiability of your desire makes you lack many things indeed. You diligently strive to add 10 more talents to the 10 you received. And when you have 20, you seek to add 20 more. Yet this constant accumulation does not quell the craving, but only further inflames your appetite, right? And so you know, we see this, uh, the acquisition of wealth spurs the acquisition, the desire for more wealth and more wealth and more wealth. And, you know, this, this cycle of greed and what, what is enough, right? That's the question. What is, what is enough for, for any of us to have? And the problem is that many people get stuck in the cycle when they are, uh, in the process of acquiring wealth, it's never enough. And we, and we see this, they want, they, they buy a, $1,000 watch, they want a $5,000 watch, then they want a $10,000 watch, and they want a $20,000 watch, or they have a, a nice car, then they want the, you know, the sportier version of that car, or the, the tricked out version of that car, or they have a nice home, and so they want a bigger home, they want a better home. And it's just, and, and so what St. Basil is saying is that someone who's a pauper or poor is not somebody who doesn't have things technically, it's somebody who's always in desire of things, somebody who's always seeking to have more. So there, so by his measure, you can be quite wealthy if you are satisfied with what you have, if what you have is sufficient for you. But if you're constantly in this cycle of wanting more, desiring more, that's actually uh, the, the indication of being poor or, or, or being, you know, in a state of poverty is that you are constantly seeking more and more and feel like you don't have enough. Um, and then, you know, I mean, he, he, starts to end his sermon um, by saying, you know, it was his intention, is my intention to give you respite from the works of injustice and to grant some leisure to your thoughts so that you might carefully consider to what end your pursuit of material things has led you. Um, and, you know, again, he's just presenting the sermon to those he's speaking to really to get them to pause and to stop and to examine how they're leading their lives, how they are, uh, how they are taking care of their fellow man and really to consider it. And for him, it was convicting enough where he actually gave up all of his wealth. He gave up the land in his, uh, that, that his family owned. He gave, he, he turned it into a kind of a, a society of always helping. He built institutions to help the poor. He gave away basically all of his wealth uh, because of this, this Bible verse and because he felt convicted. And again, it was out of love. It wasn't out of that, you know, this is a literal translation of this verse, this passage in the Bible, and I need to do it this way because that's what God is commanding me to do. No, he did it because he did it out of love. He did it because he could not bear to see the poor uh, suffering outside of his gates when he had uh, such immense wealth. Um, and uh, so he, he makes a couple more comments, you know, some things that come up uh, for us, you know, but wealth is necessary for rearing children, right? Um, and the point that he makes is that these children are not yours. These children are God's and God will care for these children. Yes, as parents, we're responsible for our children to take care of them. 
but uh, sometimes we make an excuse of hoarding wealth uh, in order to rear our children as if God would not take care of them. And again, in modern society, we have to consider these things in the context of, of where we live, but we have to consider them honestly, right? So how much do you really need to rear your children? How much do you really need to educate them? How much do you really need to take care of them? Are you really doing this to provide for them or are you using this as an excuse to con con continue wealth acquisition and wealth building? Uh, St. Basil then comments, I will enjoy these things during my life, but after my death, I will leave my goods to the poor, making them beneficiaries of my will and granting them all my possessions. When you are no longer among your fellow human beings, then you will become a philanthropist. I thought this was actually hilarious because we see this a lot, right? We say like, oh, I'm just going to be this very wealthy person. I'm going to have an excess of what I need. But when I pass, I'm going to, to, to give to the poor. And it's just funny because the poor are there with you now right? The people are, who, who are in need are there with you now. And uh, it's, it's all well and good to give it to them when you're dead, uh, but uh, it's more, much more meaningful and much more meaningful to God uh, when we sacrifice for them in the present. Uh, they're suffering now. They're not suffer they're, they, they may be suffering 20 years from now, but they're suffering now. And if you take care of them now, they may not be suffering 20 years from now. So these are, these are things to, to consider uh, as well. And I thought that was really uh, very interesting uh, from St. Basil the Great as well. And something that, that, you know, I, I need to consider in my own life and how I, how I deal with, with things and my philosophy on when to help and how to help. Um, and then he, he strengthens that as he often does. Uh, as, as you can see, St. Basil, Basil the Great does not mince words. He does not hold back. He's very forthright and very, uh, <laughs> very uh, tough sometimes. He says, dead offerings are not accepted at the altar. You must give a living sacrifice. So, you know, Again, I, I don't want this just to make this about money, but I, I, want, this to, <clears throat> I want us to also consider other ways uh, in, which, in which we do these things. You know, what are we holding back from our neighbors in terms of uh, emotional uh, donation, in terms of emotional wealth, in terms of spiritual wealth? What are we holding back from them? You know, there are poor in spirit out there, those who don't, don't know Christ, don't know God. Are we, are we hoarding this spiritual uh, nourishment? Are we holding this spiritual wealth? What about on an emotional level? Are we guarded and, and uh, don't connect with those around us saying it's easier just to go through life in these silos where I wave to my neighbor but don't really know him or his family? Um, are we investing our, our wealth uh, in, those, in, in those neighbors of ours? Are we showing them love? Um, and so I also want to, you know, I think St. Basil obviously is talking about wealth in a very real way uh, in terms of finances and money and things like the affluence. But, he, but I also want us to kind of consider, you know, what, what else do we have that we are wealthy in that we can give to others, right? And that's, that's a, it's, I think that's an important, um, uh, important concept to also factor into this. So St. Basil finishes, and I like how he finishes because, you know, he gave strong and stern words, um, but at the end he wants, to, he wants to really emphasize that this is all for love. This is why he's speaking this way. This is why he talks this way. And he says, be persuaded to this by Christ, the good counselor who loves you. He became poor for us so that he might make us rich through his poverty and gave himself a ransom for all. Let us either be persuaded by him because he is wise and knows all things, or let us wait patiently for him because he loves us. 
In any case, let us do what we have been commanded, that we may become heirs of eternal life in Christ himself, to whom is due glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he makes this positive. He shows us that Christ did these things for us. He's not asking us to do something that we didn't. You, you may say, well, Christ was born as a carpenter, and you know what wealth did he give up? Christ bankrupted himself to take human form, right? God, the son of God, bankrupted himself to take human form. There's no greater demonstration of donation or giving charity or, or going from the height of wealth to extreme poverty than from him incarnating and becoming, uh, becoming man for our salvation, right? He didn't need to do this. Uh, he was justified in not doing it, but because of his love for us, he decided to do that. And this is why I show an image of the resurrection, right? He did this for our salvation so that he could pull us out of Hades, so that he could pull us from our graves, so that he can heal our blindness in our lives, so that he can heal the, the, the greed, so that he can heal our infirmities. He made himself poor to make us rich. And this richness is ultimately in our salvation. Um, again, uh, I love St. Basil the Great. I love how direct he is. I love that he convicts me every time I read him. I, I love the fact in a weird way that I, leave, that I leave reading his sermons feeling not worse about myself, but just that he's uncovered something spiritually for me, something that I'm hiding, something that I'm ignoring, something that I'm not paying attention to. Um, and he helps me work through these things, through prayer, through meditation, through spiritual counsel of my father of confession and my spiritual advisors in the church, discussions with my wife and sisters and father. Um, St. Basil convicts me every time I read him. I, I just definitely recommend picking up any of his writings or sermons. I have a feeling that I'll be talking to you much more about him uh, in the future. I uh, thank you for tuning in and being patient with me today. I apologize for any of the technical issues that were demonstrated during this talk. I'm trying to stop the share here. And God bless you. Pray for me and my family. I miss you all and uh, cannot wait to see you soon. <laughs>